I am joined today by professional comic book writer Scott Snyder, who is the author of Batman The Black Mirror. Hey, Scott, how's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me on, Dallas. I'm a big fan, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. When I was doing my research for our Black Mirror episode, I realized I didn't come across a lot of where that book came from information. A lot of people talked about it and how they liked it, but I don't know, how did you get started with Batman Black Mirror? What, what was going on in the water that brought about that book? Well, it was strange. I mean, I, um, I got, I always wanted to be a comic book artist and artist writer, you know, Mike, Mike Mignola was like my, my idol. Um, and, uh, I realized when I was in college, I wasn't really good enough as an artist to, to do that. So I fell more into the writing side of things. And it was at a moment when there was a really exciting kind of explosion in the short story world, um, especially, and, Dennis Johnson and Laurie Moore and all these kind of people doing new things. And um, I fell in love with that and, and started writing stories and wound up in the book world for a while after and, you know, worked odd jobs and stuff, but then wound up going to grad school for fiction. And so when I wound up getting a chance kind of in a serendipitous way to break into comics, I was so excited. It was all I ever wanted to do, you know, and um, I got an American vampire through, it was really like two editors that were, <laughs> Mark Doyle and Janine Schaefer at Marvel and DC respectively, like came to a reading that I was doing um, with a couple other people for a, a kind of a joke book that was literary writers come up with new superheroes. And I took it really seriously and, and didn't like tongue in cheek it. <laughs> Although a lot of them were really funny. You know, one was like <laughs> a support group for superheroes with terrible powers. And so one guy <laughs> was like, never just never went to the bathroom and was like, where does it all go? And, and, uh, but I, I like shot it straight and they came up afterwards and asked if anyone was a comic fan and i was like i have comics in my bag forbidden planet and it, it took off from there and I, I pitched american vampire and got it through you know and, and batman was always my favorite and then what happened was dc in those days was offering a lot of exclusives and um they offered me one and i i took it it was like the first time i was going to be able to know i had an income from writing on top of all the other stuff teaching and whatever and uh my dream, I really, but I felt completely ill-prepared. I had not written comics. You know, I'd only written, you know, fiction. That's where all my rejections and all that stuff came from. I, so when I broke in, um, I was just anything. I was terrified of, of, of being put on a book that was above my level. I just wanted the smallest stuff. And um, they gave me a couple opportunities that didn't work out when I started, like, Jeff Johns pitched me Firestorm. He wanted me to do Firestorm. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around it. The, the take they had was kind of like an eighties buddy, buddy cop thing, but in one body. And I was just, mm -hmm. I knew I was going to fail miserably at this. And I turned that down. And then there was another, I forget it was the specter, but it was a different take. And so I really thought they were going to give me nothing. And I was just like, I'm going to get fired or I'm going to have nothing. And then all of a sudden they said, well, you know, what do you, what do you love? And I'm like, Batman's my, my favorite, but I'm in no way ready, but anywhere in Gotham I could play that's like adjacent to that. And they were like, well, what about detective comics? We have an opening on the backups and Paul Dini is doing the, the fronts. And I was like, Oh my God, I would love that. You know, I'm not ready for that, but I, it was like, it's only six pages. Don't worry. I was like, great. Mm -hmm. What's your pitch? And I was like, well, my pitch is, I'd love to do something about the way that Gotham adjusts to a new hero, how 
the you know gotham the origin of the word it's like you know a hearth for goats and so if the goat is gotham if it's infected by a bat whatever bat infects it that infection takes a, a specific a specific kind of mutation a specific form um so for dick grayson it would create a villain that's very different than the kind of uh whole canon the whole kind of uh uh, pantheon of villains for Bruce that are his extensions of his psychology. So Gotham is sort of the big antagonist. And so they were like, well, that's fine, but you have to use Jim Gordon because you, you know, you're using, you're not using Dick because Dick's in the front. And I was like, okay, I can do Jim. And then I started thinking and I, I had always had this idea in the back of my head, like what happened to the kid in year one? You know, you mm-hmm. had a son at one point, it just never, never resurfaced. I was like, oh, well, if he's, if he's somebody who's, you know, prides himself on being objective, prides himself on being um, compassionate, but fair, what if the one case he kind of can't process is his, the son who returns and kind of exists at this liminal space between um, what might be, you know, complete human darkness and, and sympathy. And so I started kind of crafting that. And before I could even get my head around it, Paul Dini quit um, to do animation or something. And they were like, do you want to take the whole book? Mike Martz, I remember where I was. He, he, he had me into the office and I was in a room with a giant Batman pinball machine um, <laughs> in the old DC, New York offices. And it was the 89 one. And he, it really was intimidating and blinking and looking at me. And I was just like, Oh my God, <laughs> I don't think I can do this. And so, but I, how do you say no? You know? And I was like, I can do it. I'll do it. And I was like, I can do it. It's Dick Grayson. That was my original idea. I can do it. No, they're like, and you can do the backups too, if you still want. And I was like, what like yes of course you you don't say no but i was literally felt like you know being single a baseball player being plucked out of obscurity and then asked to pitch in the world series in like game seven where you absolutely know you're not capable of this but you're like mm-hmm. i have to what are you going to say no and so i sort of decided that i was going to put everything i had into it it was going to be the only time i ever got to write anything at dc because i was probably going to get fired you know um I, my contract was for a year. So I was like, I get a year and then I'm out, you know, the, I, who knows, like this will work. Um, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to swing for the fence. And Mark Bagley Jr. was on the book, who I love, you know, but was like completely wrong for the idea. And I, I still can't believe I did this, but I went to Mike Martz. I think, I mean, Dallas, like I think one thing to understand about my early years at DC was there was definitely a streak in me that was essentially trying to get fired, you know, where <laughs> there was like willing to, to, take creative risks that was daring them to fire me with the kind of obstinance about like, you know, stuff I stand by a hundred percent. It's all creative. It wasn't to be difficult, but they're not reasonable things. Like I would say this, like, well, I don't want to do it. If I Mark Bagley Jr. If I can't, you know, get a different artist because it's not right for the story. And they were like, you are nobody. Mark Bagley Jr. is a superstar. Hmm. And I was like, well, what if I can get another superstar? They're like, who are you thinking? And I'm like, well, I know, I, I know Will Dennis, my friend at Vertigo knows Jock and Jock would be perfect for the story. And they were like, Jock will never do it. He's doing movie stuff, the losers and whatever. And I was like, well, what if I get him to say yes? And so long story short, I went to San Diego <laughs> on, on my own dime to meet Jock and did not know him, met him at a bar I've told this story, but he's like a big Englishman. He's one of my absolute best friends. Now our kids like, you know, play together and we're, he's like family um, as is Francesco. I was just talking to you before this. And, um, you know, I met him and, and I was worried that he would think I was like not tough enough to do Batman if I wasn't like having a drink with him. And I'm a small person compared to Jock. And <laughs> by the end I was like, and then James Jr. This and then this and whatever. And Mike Martz had been like, he's never going to do it. You're wasting your time 
time. And Jack was like, you know what? I like you. Let's go for it. And I was like, yes. And I went back to my hotel room and wrote Mark's this like smug email that was essentially like, guess what, Mike? Jack is in and in. <laughs> and I literally fell asleep with my hand on the keyboard on the end, you know, passed out. But from that sort of, you know, shameful beginning, uh, we started the story. And, and um, from Go, it was really just one of those weird experiences where Jock and Francesco and I, we, was, we didn't have Zoom then. We talked on the phone a lot. We all got WhatsApp. We, we really went back and forth. And the purpose of the story for me was, it was really personal, you know, it was about, it was about Dick Grayson adjusting to a role he was excited and terrified to be in, um, felt that he was prepared for it, and then suddenly the city shifts beneath his feet and kind of presents all of his own worst funhouse mirror fears um, the way it always does, the way Gotham... And the point was to show Gotham as the ultimate antagonist, that Gotham is generates kind of your worst nightmares for you to face, but it does it ultimately what you realize at the end for to make you a better hero, to, to test you. Um, and what's so weird is looking back at that story now, it has like the nascent versions of all of these things that became like main themes of my writing. And I didn't even realize it at that time because I wasn't thinking in those terms. I was just thinking in terms of Dick Grayson is compassionate, you know, perfect foil for him is James Jr. But I'll leave him off stage for a while. Um, but James Jr. comes in with this whole, sort of story about how he's on this drug that's helping his um, psych, uh, psychopathy and, and is, is, is making him, you know, understand his own problems and he's becoming more compassionate and all of this. And, you know, it fit the story, but ultimately that theme of whether or not our nature is sort of what James is James Jr.'s kind of thesis in it, which is we're designed to be predatory. We're designed to sort of give in to those terrible impulses and to be, you know, the next evolutionary step from where we are would be to shed any kind of vestigial compassion or empathy or collectivism. That feeling, it, that became a major part of my work when, um, when you know, we rolled after like 2016, 2017, but it's all there in Black Mirror. And even the dealer, I realized where he's like, what makes us special is our capacity for evil. You know, that's what makes us divine. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's, at the time I literally was just trying to do something creepy, you know what I mean with him? And I wanted to, I wanted that sense of like Gotham is, I was just trying to show Gotham is wilder and scarier and darker than you imagine it was with Bruce. You know, anything that Bruce can handle is different than what Dick could handle. But ultimately um, that wound up hitting all these nerves that became major themes in the stuff that I did afterwards, which is touches on all that. And, you know, the whole sort of Justice League run was about Luthor's argument that, you know, we're essentially designed to be worse than we like to admit. And villains are really the ones we want to side with. And now Book of Evil is kind of the purest expression of, of that um, and the kind of last, I think, exploration of that theme. But it's funny to look back at Black Mirror and see this almost weird kaleidoscopic kind of like smattering of of themes that wind up being so central to other projects and in, in more and more kind of uh, focused ways. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. It's funny how that stuff just comes out, you know, that right? you, you don't even realize that that's what's on your mind until it's coming out of you. Totally. Um, I guess my question for you: you talk about 
feeling too small for the Batman book, do you think that helped you write Dick Grayson, who would feel too small for Batman and Gotham? Yeah, I mean, my, do you mean, repeat that one more time? Yeah, so you talk about Detective Comics feeling like really scary when you're offered that. And you're like, all right, we'll, we'll swing for the fences. We'll make it big. Do you think that helped you to write Dick Grayson, who was filling it in as Batman at that time? Oh, completely. It was the only thing that saved me from having a total nervous breakdown was that it was him. I mean, it was the point of the story, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, um, it, it uh, you know, it, it worked. Like all of it was built around Dick Grayson's own a character. Um, but Bruce, I was not ready for Bruce in any shape or form, like not in any shape or form, you know, I mean, if it had been Bruce, I don't know what I would have done because Dick is, wears his heart on his sleeve and he was excited and terrified to be Batman. And I was excited and terrified to write Batman and we just fit that way. And there was also, I mean, Grant Morrison to me did the best run on Batman ever. I mean, I, I'm still in awe of, of what he was, they were able to do. Sorry. And, and what I love about, I mean, they couldn't have been more encouraging to me. The few, I, I had this like strange, he, they always said to me, like, what a strange thing. We bump into each other at San Diego and like completely pedestrian places, like the buffet line or the last place you'd think you'd see Grant Morrison, but he, they always were incredibly um, kind and generous about asking me what was going on with me and what I was thinking and then sharing their ideas about what they were doing on Batman and then Batman Inc. Batman. And so there was also a sense of, of protection on my part where Grant liked what we were doing and was supportive. And I'll always be indebted to them for that. I mean, I, I, you'll ne- I'll never say enough good things about them. Uh, have your heroes be like that people Mm -hmm. that come in and encourage you. And it set a very strong example for me that I know I can't live up to, but that I, you know, I have a lot of faults. I can be, I can be, you know, yell at my bosses. And those early years, I was definitely known as kind of a bad boy with, uh, with upper management at DC for fights and yelling and sticking up for the things that I believed in creatively, but did I, I worry a lot now thinking back, like, did I contribute in some way to a toxic environment? by by being complicit somehow in that kind of culture of saying the only way they're going to listen to me right now is if I yell because it was that there were aspects of the culture back then in the 2010s in the New York office and in the LA office that were like that you know for a while and that um that but that that was that was built I was wired that way at that time you know which was great I get to have a fight because it's the only way to get it through and you know it'll get out some of this anxiety. Um, but um, I try overall, I, my point is like not to get on the couch and be like, you know, you're my, mm-hmm. you're my skeletons in the closet. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy and proud of the things that I've been able to do in comics, but it's a fraction of the way that Grant treated me and some of the kind people in comics treated me. And it really did set a tone at DC and made me feel there was kind of a compass to follow about the way you treat creators coming up after you and the way that you encourage them and the way that, you know, Grant was very clear about, he said, they said to me, um, look, if you make your version of Batman, if you, if I encourage you to make your version of Batman and stand that Batman in the Pantheon, it's not competitive with mine. It's your own thing. And they can stand together and be equally exciting to people. And it just makes a, for a richer, pantheon of batman and 
to, to know that, you know, have them say to me, create a birth and a death for your version and that, all those things. Like, so there was a sense on Black Mirror uh, that the spotlight was on Grant. So I, I got away with things that I couldn't have done otherwise. When, you know, Jock and Francesco and doing a story that's 12 issues long, they would never commit to that now. You know what I mean? But back then, Grant, it was a different world. They had exclusives and all this stuff. But also Grant was, Grant was like a, the sun. You know what I mean? He was just blazing away at Batman. So who gives a shit if this kid does 12 issues over here on Detective? As long as it's not tanking, you know, like mm-hmm. whatever. But if it tanks, we'll take him off. So there was that, you know, it was very like, sort of, um, I think, by virtue of his being sort of beneath this whole solar system he was creating. So, yeah, I mean, it was always that way on that book. You know, I always felt shielded by him, by them. I'm sorry, I'm I'm not used to this, but but I uh, apologize. Um, The... Uh, shielded by them and 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 defended by them and that meant a lot to me yeah that's really cool um listeners of our show know i really love grant morrison's work a lot that's cool to hear how kind they were to you um i guess my my final question before i'll let you go is what then did that transition from writing detective comics to headlining the new batman title look like did you know that you were writing the last detective comics story no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was as bad as it could have possibly been where um i was just getting comfortable with dick grayson at the end and i mean to be clear like you know i'm i'm always very i'm not i don't know how you know i'm i have my own tendencies you know i'm not grant you know i see someone like james like my absolute you know closest writer friend in the world like my little brother big brother whatever james tynan as someone who has the the kind of mind that that breaks things and puts them back together in inspiring ways as grant you know interested in new delivery systems for comics interested in sort of taking things apart and reconfiguring interested in macro level stuff i'm not that i'm not that way you know i'm more you i'm interested in sort of I, i like to get into a system and then see what I can do that is personal and passionate to me and excitingly mine. And also how can I kind of do something, do something that hasn't been done before within that, within that kind of math. I'm not the one that kind of dismantles the math to do something wildly visionary. I'm more, you know, someone, I'm always trying to push the boundaries and do things that matter to me and bend the rules that way to do things that, you know, I believe in, um, yeah, on a personal level, but I don't, I almost don't have that kind of, um, I don't have that, that same kind of acrobatic mind about stepping outside the, the, the sort of conventional nature of storytelling to kind of rebuild everything in new ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I, when I was just getting comfortable at the end of detective, and I was like, okay, I can do another year of Dick Grayson. I was building a story for Dick Grayson that I really had. And they were like, actually, Bruce is coming back. So you're going to be doing Bruce. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to be doing Bruce? I don't know if I can do Bruce. Bruce is too whatever. He doesn't talk. He's like a nightmare. To do. I can't, don't even know if I can deal with Bruce. And I was like, fine. But at least it's me and Jock and Francesco and whatever. And they were like, it's not you and Jock and Francesco. It's going to be Greg Capullo. 
And I was like, Greg Capullo, like, and you know, Greg and I, I didn't know Greg and Greg clearly had a wildly different way of working than I was used to, you know, where he got like a five page outline and then went to town and they were like, and now, and I had, I, so they were like, it's Bruce. And then I started to build the court of owls story and they were like, and it's not going to, it was a month later. They were like, it's not going to be with Jock or Francesco. And I was like, Oh my God, you know? And then they're like, it's with Greg Capullo. And I was like, okay. But then I talked to him. They say, he doesn't like to work the way you like to work. You can have to get used to working Marvel style. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then on top of that, then they were like, and it's going to be Batman number one, like a week later. And I mean, I've never, I've always had like anxiety and, and you know, that, but I've never had as many successive panic attacks as I had during that period in my life for days, like just, you know, barely able to function over it. Like the terror of Batman number one, you know, after 70, whatever years they had not rebooted it, that whole thing. And it really was just a matter of, I felt I had a good story with Word of Owls. I, I knew I knew that I believed in it. And as soon as Greg and I started clicking after this kind of initial hilarious, like fighting over everything where we threatened to kick each other off the book and hated each other. And when I saw his designs and he saw how much I cared about the story, how much he cared about the story, all the egos went away. And it was like, whatever's best for the story, that's what we do. And we got close real fast. And then from there, you know, it became a matter of like, whatever idea is better, we go with that idea. And in that way, it became this great partnership. And I hid in that. Like Bruce, the only thing that kept me feeling okay about the whole thing that it was Batman number one was that I was working with somebody who always just refocused me on the story. It was like, you can't think about the fans. You can't think about the numbers. You can't think, because I would literally be like, they're expecting a hundred thousand people to read, you know, read this book. Like, detective was 50 or you know then they're like no no no, two or three hundred thousand people with that i was like that is 10 yankee there's like eight yankee stadiums stacked on top of each other ready to boo me all at once like if they hate this thing and i mean you know it really would i mean yeah i still i still get like my stomach turns when i think about it like how scary that was you know and i'm very grateful to greg and to john who you know glapian and um FCO, but really Greg and John who just were like, story, story, story. Look at this page. Let's do this. And it was great. I mean, you know, it was, it was a, it was a terrifying year. You know, the whole year I was just like, I, I can't, you know, but again, Grant was there encouraging me and, you know, the, every time DC tried to change something about that story that they had agreed to, and there were a few times that it was a really big nuclear fight. Uh, Greg just locked arms with me and John and we were like, well, we all quit if, if you, you know, if you do that. And it was that the thing I'll say is this before I hop off is that those two books, like being on black mirror and being on that and the relationships with Grant and Jock and Francesco and Greg and John, like they taught me not just how to write comics, you know, how to be collaborative, the most important lesson of all, like how to bend your scripts to, let the artist shine, how to be a co-creator, all those like, you know, all the technical lessons, how to work with editors, how to, all the things I didn't know, how to work with fans, how to give them what they they think they want, but then give them what you want. Like all that kind of triangulation came from those books that I, you know, I love that. But the more important lesson, honestly, you know, about the person you want to be in comics came from experiences on those books with those guys and everybody I encountered during that time. Not everybody, but 
most of the people that I encountered during that time and worked with that really were kind to me and, and saw the ways in which I was still naive and not, not who I wanted to be yet in comics as well. And, and guided me, even people in Marvel, you know, Tom Brevoort and stuff being like, Hey, listen, you're, you're freaking out and worrying too much about this. Just enjoy it. You know, and that and all of it. So yeah, it was, it was, it was not, none of it was a good transition. None of it was easy. None of it was, but um, I look back on it now with like tremendous fondness and tremendous um, appreciation at the time. I was just, that's my biggest regret. And then I'll leave you on that. My biggest regret about those first two, three years I'm to Gotham. I didn't enjoy any of it, you know, because I was so, so completely racked with imposter syndrome, you know, I mean, I, I always like, I mean, I, I'm proud of my own writing. I do the best I can. I've never let a book out the door that I didn't believe in. I've certainly fucked up and let things out the door. I think that weren't what I hoped they would be, but not at the time. Like I, I definitely have never phoned it in. I've never done that. I'm proud of that, you know, but the, I, I, I mean, I'm, I have more shielding and like more skin, like thicker skin now. But I think about who I was at, the, at that time. And I, I just wish I could go back and say to myself, like, you're doing okay. Just enjoy it. Enjoy it. You're on Batman. You're, you're living your dream. But I, I could not. I was just so terrified all the time. Like, all I could do is just be like, work it over, work it over, work it over, you know, to death. I feel like they'd be better if I hadn't overworked them so much. Sometimes I look at them and I'm like, you over dialogue this you overdid that it's like but the that is anyone out there you get your dream job i know how terrifying it is i know how scary we all have imposter syndrome we all have, think we're a fraud try your best to do better than me and enjoy it a little bit because i was the nervous wreck those whole first years so anyway thank you thank you again so much for your time that was that was really great no it's a pleasure i really i'd love to do it again and if my didn't have to take my three-year-old from the babysitter in a minute. I keep going with you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll set something up. Thank you. Great. Thanks, All Dallas. Right. I'll talk yep. to you soon. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye-bye.